3: The Britney Spears Conservatorship. Are avatars
4: of the future?
2: Royalties for radio.
4: You're listening to The Biz, Biz Tape. Tape.
3: Welcome to episode 40 of The Biz Tape, your all things music, business, and media podcast. I'm your host, Joe, with my co-host, Colin, and our special guest, entertainment attorney, Rachel Gutman at Taylor Gutman, PLLC. That is a hell of a title.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Joe and Colin. I'm so glad to be here with you. Yeah, Yeah,
3: absolutely. Thanks for coming on.
4: We've known you for a very long time, and you've been our own personal legal saviors is what I would call your title for us and good friends. So we really do appreciate you. And as I always say in Nashville, everybody somehow knows Rachel Gutman. So
3: yes. <laughs> Rachel Gutman's taking over the world.
2: <laughs> oh gosh, guys. I have a ways to go. I and I mean it truly. I think everyone knows this is that, you know, we're all learning and growing and meeting new people every day. And it's all about how we build those relationships and work together to keep growing.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And hey, if there's anything music business, it's it's building relationships. It's tomorrow. true. And you can build relationships <laughs> with us yeah. at our socials. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at the BizTape or email us at podcast at gmail.com.
4: Well done, sir. Thank uh, you. Thank that's you. what I call an introduction to socials. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, well, I guess we'll just go right into it. Uh, since we have Rachel here, we've found a lot of weird, funny things, got semi legal, and also her. Experience, you know, being a lawyer and also just knowing everything and anything for some reason about music business <laughs> stuff. Well, also, she's the help best out. guru. Yeah, as always. So, uh, the first one I want to talk about today was the avatars, uh, not the airbender or the blue people, as I always <laughs> say every time because people always go that direction. But, uh, you know, we've talked about avatars before on the show, and usually it was like companies are just buying up avatar companies, like we saw Warner buying up a lot of. Uh, companies that specialize in making these virtual people, which, you know, to kind of uh, make it more specific, these avatars are usually artists, but they're not in real life people. They're just kind of, uh, you know, they're persona- Fortnite characters. Yeah, well, sometimes <laughs> they're like personas. So usually they're like computer generated people and they kind of pretend to be real or sometimes they lean into the joke of being a full robot. Um, and then basically, I wanted to show you guys some of these two ones that kind of came up in my mind that's been really blowing up in avatars. And we talk about the future of the space. And so I got the first one is, uh, this perpetual 19 year old Brazilian American model pop star. She's got 250,000 monthly listeners on Spotify and endorsement deals with Calvin Klein and Prada. And she also has 3 million followers on Instagram. Rachel's making a lot of faces now and close to that on TikTok. And she also brings in $10 million a year, according to the UK online marketplace on buy. This is a little uh, Michaela who is looks like this, uh, which I'll show Rachel and Joe right now. It it looks like a real person, which is interesting in terms it, of art style. It
2: does look like a real person. And actually, you know, when, when you came in on this call and I wanted to say something, you know, it's so interesting. The thing that came to mind for me is the good old you know Buggles song video killed the radio star? Yeah, it's yeah. almost like avatars killed the human star. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's a fascinating way to look at this business, um, but it's so you know I have so many questions about it in terms of the you know the long term abilities. I mean, I see this you know little Michaela, she's a lovely. Well, the avatar is a lovely looking young lady. Um, Very much, um, you know, has a good international look. You know, she's not necessarily from one region or another, um, which, you know, I can see doing well in a global marketplace. She's got
4: like the Gen Z fashion on and she's, you know, just out and about, which if you guys look at her Instagram, which is little Michaela, you can find even more stuff on there which is very interesting it looks like a regular person posting it doesn't really they do lean into the joke that it's a robot but if you look at these pictures really fast you might think this is a real person which it is,
2: looks like a real person
4: right which i think is a very interesting business model to have and will kind of contrast with the other person that I kind of want to talk about here, which is arguably biggest in the space, which is this uh, avatar known as FN Men- Mecca, is what I've been told based on one of my research. And FN Mecha kind of looks like this, which uh, you would probably <laughs> say is... Kind of like a Fortnite character is the (laughs) modeling of it. Yeah, like a video game, Overwatch kind of stuff. And uh, he's got these green dreads and green eyes and a gas mask on. And it's like clearly fake, which is super contrasting to our, you know, little Michaela uh, and Michaela, which is, you know, this is not real. But F mecca is not to be messed with they have 9.3 million tiktok followers which i didn't even know people had that many yeah. and then release and has released three official singles under the label factory new which just specializes in avatar artists only and also interesting thing with fk mecca is that their songs are ai generated unlike uh uh, the previous artist who I said who, who uses real singers and traditional producers and kind of a combination of computer-generated sounds, according to you know the label and the creator, it's AI-generated. Now, Joe and I talked about this off mic. We don't know where the beginning of that starts and where yeah. it ends.
3: Because it could be like a
2: branding thing where it's I, like... I was going to ask that question because here's the thing. like If it's AI-generated music... Are we in a situation where the, you know, where it's just like looking at what's holding well in the market and then generating music based on that?
3: Uh, Yeah, I think the way a lot of these operate, because we actually did one that did covers and it it like made a Nirvana song, right, out of like a bunch of uh, assets that they put into the system. So it basically just combs through. So they just feed the algorithm, a bunch of different assets and, like, different kind of sounds so that it kind of formulates, like, I guess a certain pattern that it can, like, go by. But I think, like, when me and Colin were talking about it and with the other one as well, um, we think that there might be a lot of curation involved in a lot of that because it could be like, yeah, it's computer generated, but maybe only a part of it is. That's what I would think. Yeah, and they pick and choose the parts that they like and then they kind of like well I
4: kind of made an argument that I think it's too I think there's two issues with this AI generated claim which I think would be interesting if there's some regulation in the future where it's like well you could say it's AI driven because it's not entirely AI generated or something but I think the two issues are the branding of it which is you know you're not going to be like it's 30% AI generated because then that just sounds terrible in an ad and then the other thing is like the trade secret of it basically where this is new technology and obviously, you can manufacture an artist, so you don't want people to know exactly how you did it. So yeah. you're not going to make like a how-to video most of the time on this, because then somebody could just make their own FK Mecca as More opposed to... More competition. Yeah, you know. So I, th- I think it's interesting. Uh Rachel, I wanted to talk to you specifically about maybe, you know, we're dealing with a lot of... Different copyrights and other assets that we would not traditionally be using in yes. this way, and I—I I don't know. Me and Joe have speculated. Would you say maybe this would probably be a lot of work for hire work oh, in that way?
2: Yes, absolutely. In fact, when you when you first mentioned the AI generated, the first thing that went through my head is, um, truthfully, how I would structure deals with real people involving confidentiality and work for hire. To get to that quote unquote AI generated point. Right. If that was necessary. Of course, without me knowing if there's that, you know, to the extent of the AI generated technology, you know, for the music and how all that fits together. Um
4: And it, could you like yeah. could you explain maybe why it's a big different situation for someone to get work for hire for, let's say, making art assets for these avatars versus being employed? Like what how much of a big of a difference that is for their compensation and kind of like
2: well, let's talk about the difference between being a work for hire versus an author of a creation yeah. or a creative work. Because we all have to remember, copyrights are original works of authorship fixed in a tangible medium of expression. I know you guys feel like you're back in school I right know. now, right? Yeah. can't help myself.
3: I'm, I'm taking notes. can't help
2: myself, guys. Got to gotta go into in teaching <laughs> mode. Um, but no, so so when someone creates an original work, okay? Mm. And mind you, there has to be a, you know, small amount of originality. I can't just draw a stick figure and then own stick figures and nobody else can create stick figures. And no, I have not tried this, but I do draw stick figures regularly <laughs> in my copyright <laughs> presentations. That's why I mentioned that. Um, but there has to be some you know, originality to it. And when someone authors an original work themselves, they own a bundle of rights, like a bundle of sticks in the copyright. Mm-hmm. The right to reproduce, adapt, distribute, Um, you know, to some extent, publicly perform or display if those rights apply. And then, of course, our lovely outlier digital audio transmission of sound recordings through non-interactive streaming services, a.k.a. SoundExchange and Pandora Sirius XM. That's all I'm going to say about that to help everyone break that down.
4: Um, Easy to digest. (laughs) Yeah,
2: way easier to digest than the mouthful I just gave you. But the thing about this that's fascinating, you know, if these are all works for hire, but essentially, what's happening is that these companies, what I would think is happening at least, is that these avatar companies probably own all the copyrights in the character, the photos, the compositions, the master recordings, the, you know, they probably own the trademarks. And then let's not, you know, let's even just dip into personality rights. Mm-hmm. Like, what a fascinating field. Personality rights, just for those of you listening, are rights in your name, your likeness, your image, you know, essentially your personality. And they are governed by state law. So every state in the United States has different laws for personality rights. Right. Some states don't have anything statutorily, and it's just in the case law. Some states don't have anything at all. And some states, like Tennessee, do have a statute in place to protect personality rights, both during life and after death. But how is there a personality right for an avatar that doesn't really exist as a person? Um and I pose that question just to get, you know, to start the dialogue and even get you guys thinking about that because yeah. it's kind of an out of the box concept. Yeah. But these companies that are that are creating these avatars, you know, instead of such as in the normal music industry where the co-writers of a song all own a certain percentage of the song, whether it's co-equal or negotiated splits by contract, and the recordings are owned, you know, either by the artist or by the record label generally. Of course, subject to contracts. I want to make that clear. I don't want anyone to think that these are legal defaults in ownership necessarily. Um, But, you know, the question becomes, instead of having all this money spread throughout the various authors of the composition or the artist who owns the master or the producer getting a royalty on the master, you know, things like that, now it's just going into one big bucket one big corporate avatar bucket. Yeah. And I think the real question at the core of it, besides the legal rights, is what does this do to creativity?
4: Yeah. I you know, that's an interesting question. And also, how will the general public maybe react to this avatar space because obviously this is such a new thing and it's almost like we haven't really, in my opinion, hit the cap of what is the top value of like the public where the public's like, all right, we're sick of this for now. Like I can't do all avatars. I don't think that's the future. I think there's a combination at play, but we haven't hit like the market value of how many avatars exist versus how many are successful. Uh, I definitely think it's interesting because I asked our Instagram users again, you can follow us at the biz tape kind of what's going on and like what they think About these polls. And I said, would you support an avatar or like an entirely virtual artist? And it was contentious. I had 48% of people say yes, and 52% say no. And it was 50-50 for a very long time. And so it's going to be interesting to see if the market can even handle if this space expands so fast. And who's going to kind of, you know, be top dog in that way? Will you know, production houses, let's say that are owned by a Warner, for example, or this label factory new, maybe they're going to be ahead of the game because they've been 10 years of content and maybe they're going to be able to make interesting content in that way, as opposed to, you know, somebody who just comes on the scene, it's like, kind of like how nfts are where it's like oh we can just make an nft it doesn't matter it's the magic words so people buy nfts no mm-hmm. <laughs> so well it's the same way with this who who knows about i think that.
3: this style of branding has been around for a while though of like more of like an art project rather than like maybe an ai per se i mean like gorillas we were talking off mic again my spouse mentioned good,
4: studio killers as well and if you yeah. want to go as far back as quote-unquote faking it you go to the monkeys you know what i mean in mm-hmm. that way having a band that's not really a band and And so like this idea is there, you're getting into this uncanny valley territory though. And I think it's interesting, especially with artists that are not like FK Mecca, who are more like a little Michaela here, who is kind of real looking as opposed to, you know, showing that it's entirely fake. And so that's the real, especially with deep fake technology. Can you imagine when they get them to look so real in 2d photos
2: that you can't tell? You know what, though? I do want to bring up a point just about music in general because I think it's something that we all need to be thoughtful about, okay? Mm -hmm. Look, we've always, in in entertainment, we've always had, well, not always, but since, you know, even like Steamboat Willie with Mickey Mouse or the first animated film Snow White from Disney, we've always had characters created, whether they're human characters or cartoon characters. And we think of them as cartoons, or at least I do as an older millennial. But certainly that's something that we've had in our entertainment industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. But there's an element to music that I am concerned is going to get lost with these avatars, and it's this. Music is deeply authentic to the creators of, of the songs and to the artists performing those songs, if we want to yeah. divide it into those two separate copyrights. Um, and when people are creating music, sometimes they're putting on a show, the monkeys, you know, stuff like that. And, and you know, of course, there's artists like Lady Gaga who puts on a show and has that authenticity as part of the show. But what happens when there's really nothing authentic about the artist? What happens when the entire purpose of the music that's being released is, is a
3: brand deal? Is a brand
2: deal. Or yeah. a product, really. Yeah. And like, for, like from my perspective, speaking as someone born in the late 80s, who grew up with cassette tapes, like literally the first cassette tape I ever bought was Ace of Basis, the sign. I'm going to say yes. it here just to throw it <laughs> down for you guys. Before
4: it opened up your
2: eyes. <laughs> yes, I, I did see the sign. I bought that cassette tape and then I bought the CD when I started getting into CDs when I got older. Right. But but I mentioned that to you guys because I think it's really important for the music industry, okay? When we're looking at movies and TV shows, people are playing a character, Actors and actresses, we don't really know who they are. We don't know what they're thinking. And to some extent with musicians, that's true too, if they're writing a song about something that's not relatable to their life. But the common refrain that I hear in music and that I do find to be true in every artist and writer I work with is authenticity, Mm -hmm. is being true to yourself and being true in front of your audience. And these avatars, how can we say that they're really being true other than just being a corporate creation? And of course, you know Gen Z, they may find this very appealing. Younger millennials may find I, that's this appealing. actually very
4: interesting. You brought that up because the co-creator of like Trevor McFerris of the Little Michaela uh, basically said, if you're 11 or 12, some of your first friends are probably like a Roblox or a Minecraft player. And so the relationship between this avatar and a fan versus that and like a Rihanna through a mobile device is very similar. That's correct. So like that idea is that maybe. We we haven't seen the next generation that will be more, you know, willing to adopt these avatars as a regular space, especially with, you know, the advent of like a Fortnite live concert and stuff yeah. like that. We just haven't even seen it. But this is definitely like the breaking ground of, OK, we're starting this journey and it's real. And I think, like most industries, it's going to be very important how we start this from the ground. And if we start these conversations of what you're bringing up legally, especially as as opposed to just leaving a hole to be filled for the future, right? Yeah,
2: right. And and I think it's one of those things where you know, as this progresses, certainly the you know the younger generations who have been raised on cell phones and iPads, and no hate on that, because let's just be honest, they're everywhere. It's our I'm, lives. I'm attached to my phone. Everybody yeah. who knows me knows it. I pretty much live with my phone attached to my hand 24 hours a day or I wear my Apple Watch and it, then it's still attached to my hand. Literally. It's like it's like actually attached to me. Yeah, love the Apple Watch, but boy, am I attached to this electronic stuff. Um, but I say that, you know, from a perspective of someone who, I was raised around computers. My parents both worked in technology. Um, we had a computer in the house from the time I was born onward. My mom actually got an engagement computer rather than an engagement ring in the 80s. Right. But, but... What happens when young people, instead of going to a show as a kid, you know, my parents would take me to, like, the fairs and the festivals. I'd see, like, the little performers, you know, and doing their thing. What happens when instead of that, all they're seeing is what's on their iPad?
3: Well, I'll actually say something to that. Uh, Personal experience, I wasn't allowed to go to shows, uh, really. I mean, I went to, like... You know concerts like classical concerts. That was the, the real music in my in my household. Oh
2: wow! But Steph I wasn't allowed. Myler
3: is playing and yeah. Joe is there. I wasn't. I wasn't allowed to actually go to like a rock concert until I was like of age to go to one. So like around sixteen to eighteen was kind of that time where I was able to actually go. Um, and I my drive to actually go to concerts was even more driven by that point. I, I think bet. because I wasn't exposed to it, and I wasn't allowed to to see that. Um, and I think in in, when going back to what you said about authenticity in music, I, I 100% agree with you. Especially when you're talking to a songwriter, 100% because yes. songwriters are, I, I would I, unequivocally 80% authentic, 20% business. You know, uh, at least the ones I've. And met. that's what they market is their authenticity. Exactly. Uh,
2: you have got to have some business strategy in there, though. We all know it. I yeah. strongly
3: agree. Well, and I was going to say too. There's so much polish, even with the authentic music that we hear today um, and especially popular music. Do you think that it would be because at the end of the day, there's still a team behind these projects. Um, And although maybe it's being the sound itself is being computer, computer generated, it is still getting curated. Right. Right. Do you think that has kind of the same sort of level of value, I guess?
2: You know, I can see how it would have that level of value with the team behind it. But at the same time, the, you know, little Michaela is not out there dating other little boys or little girls. You know oh, she
3: got engaged, right?
4: Oh, yeah. There was a weird post <laughs> where like... Who did she get engaged like, to, little I, it, dude? I, it looked like, like a real person, but I think it's a whole bit about her finding a USB drive and trying to figure out where yeah. to plug it in, which I didn't like the whole vibe it's, of that it's a at weird all. Bit, but yeah, That's
2: a little weird for it's me. It's super weird. I'm <laughs> aging myself right now, but that's a little... Yeah. I mean, it. look, it's one of those things where when I grew up listening to music, this is how I think of it. When I grew up listening to music, I listened to... First of all, of course, the melodies—they got to catch me, they got to get me to right. groove, they got to get me to flow, they got to get me to feel. But then the key of it for me was the lyrics, um, and I'm actually going to relate lyrically to something that we're going to get into in a minute that I know we're going to get into because I think it's interesting to do this this way. So look, I grew up in the in the pop. My middle school years were the pop. Early 2000s, Bonanza. Right. Your Backstreet Boys, in sync, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, and all the other acts related to that. I own all the CDs, trust me. (laughs) Um, And, you know, think about Britney Spears, okay? So everyone back in the day was talking about how she was so manufactured and so, you know, fake. She was created to market to young people. And to some extent, there was a lot of strategy there from what I've heard and understand. But let's go into her song, Every Time the one that came out after she and Justin Timberlake broke up and right. after he released Cry Me a River and the whole drama there, okay? Mm-hmm. And and let's not even get into the opinions on how all that flew together. But that song in particular, that's a really good one to just kind of bring into this conversation. Because whether or not she really wrote it, co-wrote it, whether or not she was really involved in the creation of that song, that song was her story. The song Lucky is also her story to some extent. You can hear it in the lyrics, and you can also see it in honestly, and what happens to the poor woman in the media. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's one of those things where we'll never have that with little Michaela.
3: Yeah. Well, story wise, I think they, they have created a story to mm-hmm. it. Um, and I think you're right with it doesn't, it's the music itself is not connecting to the performer yeah. in that way. Um, and that is something that is lost. And we were talking earlier what would performances be like a live concert be like this, and uh, it would be like what's the one?
1: Hatsune Hatsume, Miku. Miku, yeah, yeah, Punch where Japan. they have
3: like those 360 hologram. Like, LED panels and, and like yeah. hologram stuff. Pan. But, which is cool. It's like the Tupac thing, right? It's like novelty, like
2: Michael Jackson hologram, right? right yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember, yeah,
3: like the novelty of it is kind of a fun little thing, but then like y- you don't have that same energy. That yeah, you have I with agree. a live performance. I I
4: definitely, yeah. You I,
3: don't have that callback and like communication with the audience as much as I, like.
2: Well, you don't have the natural reaction either. Like when the audience is like, when you see during a live show and it's a big crowd, you know, thousands of people stretching as far as the eye can see from stage, you know, and the crowd is just singing so loud that the artists can't even continue to sing. And they're just like. You know you can see they're kind of tearing up. They're in wonder. I remember seeing a video of Beyonce like that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more special. that's that's honestly the moment. Like for a lot of my clients, I tell them I want them to have that moment where I see them living their dream. When I see those moments, that's that moment to me. That's the dream moment that I imagine for many of my clients who love to perform live. Mm-hmm. And so not being able to have that type of connection and that kind of moment kind of leaves a hole in my heart,
4: yeah. I, you know, I think, I think we'll just have to leave it at time, you know, and that's kind of the thing with it. It's just we'll have to see how it develops and we'll have to see what goes on with life.
1: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
4: Like to springboard exactly off Britney Spears and go right into it because we we have to talk about this. Yeah, people are asking me like, "You're going to talk about this?" and I was like, "Yes, we have
3: to." Yeah, talk well, it. it was funny enough. Like when we recorded the last episode, that's exactly when the news broke of uh, Britney's audio came out. So if you haven't heard what's happening with Britney Spears, you definitely are not listening to this podcast or really anything else. Yeah, where are you it. right now? Because I want to be there. So <laughs> audio from Britney's conservative. Conservatorship hearing was leaked, sparking worldwide backlash towards the Spears family after Britney described how she truly believes this conservatorship is abusive and that she doesn't feel like she can live a full life. There are a lot of nuances to this case and a lot of different angles that we could go at this by. Firstly, this is considered family law, but Brittany has stated that she feels enslaved by her managers and has been forced to work seven days a week, as well as not having any decision-making power in how the performances are done. Therefore, this is not this is an added complication of business mixed with co- the conservatorship. So, I'm going to break down some main points from Brittany's statements that I think are important from the business side of things. So, firstly. Brittany says that her manager threatened to sue her if she did not tour during their management agreement and that she was forced to sign papers stating that and that she wasn't allowed to really reach out to a lawyer that she could choose from. It had to be the lawyer in the family, basically. Right. Then after the tour, her residency in Las Vegas started up, and she, sta- uh, she stated that although she put in all the hours of training her dancers, as well as bringing the primary focus and performer of the show, she had no decision-making or ability, even describing an event where she said to uh, no to a certain dance move, and her whole management team apparently went to another room, talked about it for 45 minutes, came back and said, no, you're going to do the move. So... After a while, the management said that they didn't that she didn't have to do the Las Vegas show anymore. But when she went to her therapist, her therapist stated that she they had been contacted consistently by her team, and that she wasn't complying with them. She also said that she was forced to see a uh, doctor, Benson, her former doctor, who she said was abusive, as well as having contact with her family, and that she was constantly hounded by paparazzi outside of the building, even though she constantly said, "I want to meet in a more private setting." they still made her come out into uh, the public office. So she also stated that she shouldn't be in a conservatorship if she is working and paying people as well. And obviously there are a ton of things that we don't know about the conservatorship. This is a, I would say like, I think it's like around 20 to 40 minute clip of Brittany kind of, uh, just talking through things. She has like a written statement out basically that she's talking through reading, and, uh, there's a lot of stuff like I said that we just don't know about. But what we do know is that it seems like Britney has been working con- constantly, yes. especially with the Las Vegas residency.
2: She she's been working constantly essentially since the conservatorship was put in place because I I have followed this um I have I want to be clear with everyone on this. I have I have no connection with the Britney Spears team. I have never represented Britney Spears. Um my observations are purely based on public information. Um but, yeah, this, this whole situation is heartbreaking on every level. I've read through the transcript of mm-hmm. what she said, her statement. Um, and, and the thing that bothers me the most about this, you know, whether, look, whether or not it's true, whether or not everything is being said accurately is this. This woman's been in a lot of pain for a number of years, a lot of pain. She's a public figure, and somebody needs to protect her. Okay, if she wanted to perform and was under a conservatorship, more power to her. Okay, but the fact is, is that ever since Britney Spears kind of had that breakdown in the mid 2000s, from my perspective, watching this in the media, all I could ever hope for her would be happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And watching her perform for a number of years, I could see in her eyes that it was not happy. And that bothers me. Not just as a person, um, but also as an attorney for artists and creatives, because I would never want any of my clients to be in that position. And I, I cannot imagine someone having essentially their freedom taken from them and then being told they have to perform. If that's true.
4: It's like the opposite of what you're saying, your dream for your clients, where you were saying, I want them to, you know, see and be like, while I'm here, I'm living my dream. She's doing the opposite. She's living her nightmare.
2: She honestly, what that woman probably, well, whatever she wants to do, first of all, she should go do. That's first things first. OK, even if she needs to have various, you know, we don't know her medical condition. We don't know her mental health and as we should not because that's, that's her own information. That is her information. That is her business. Nobody deserves to know that she deserves her privacy. This woman has been through the ringer up, down, side to side. She deserves her privacy. But more than that, if she doesn't want to be a public figure, she doesn't have to be. Yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is she's a legend. And if she wants to go and have babies in Louisiana and build a nice little mansion that she, you know, on a on a big chunk of property that she owns and stone right. walls off, more power to her. And I I think the real thing is this, you know, so many people with artists, they, you know, we have these artist teams, managers, business managers, agents, and this is no hate to lawyers, you know. I'm going to throw mm-hmm. myself in the pot because I'm part of artist teams left and right.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And the fact is, is that it's good for the team to make money. I'm not going to I'm not going to hide that we're in this to make money. That's the whole point. But not at the expense of someone's physical and mental health. These artists are human beings. Britney Spears is a human being just like all of us. Every person listening to this podcast is a human just like Britney Spears. Right. Doesn't she deserve the same respect that we get? Doesn't she deserve the same freedoms that we can have to make choices about how our lives are? Should she be forced to play on stage in Las Vegas night after night if she if she does not want to?
4: Yeah, no. I you know I I think you've said that perfectly. It's just this woman for you know in the leanest way has been taking advantage of since that conservatorship conservatorship even started,
3: and it's you know
4: well,
2: really her whole life. Well, really, that. you're yeah. right. If I mean, we go back, she, she's
3: been. Just basically forced into show business since it, since yeah. the very beginning. And well, has... she did.
2: She did love. I've watched some old videos. Um, m- my husband and I we enjoy studying uh, popular culture figures, um, and we've especially done a study on Max Martin. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yes, we we think he's just honestly Max Martin's a genius. More power to Max Martin. Respect. <laughs> but we've been we've been watching a number of you know documentaries, especially during quarantine. When, and of course, we stayed at home forever because that's just my choice. Um, but I remember one in particular where it was a y- videos and like clips of young Britney Spears and Max Martin. They're talking about baby one more time coming out, you know, this, this big song where of course, Max Martin's team didn't understand what hit me. Baby one more time would be like in English, but more power to him. It's a classic line, classic song. But what Britney loved to do when she was young was perform and dance. And I've heard this from a number of places that Britney Spears just loved to dance. Right. Um, and, Honestly, just let the woman dance. Let the woman have her little dogs and her little dog furniture. Let her have kids, you know. Let her, you know, get get her some help. Get, you know, help her go through counseling privately in her home yeah. because she's a public figure. My God.
3: With people she feels safe with, yeah. which it seems like she does not feel safe with. Even the medical uh, examiners Personnel. that she yeah, that yeah. she's been working with for years, she said that she doesn't trust them. Because they because I just so anyone's aware if your therapist is talking to anybody but you, that's a problem
2: <laughs> unless well I will say in a conservatorship, there might be exceptions to that yeah, but yes if you are if you are a fully mentally capable adult and your therapist is talking to anyone other than you, that is a massive problem
3: well even in the conservatorship uh, wouldn't it be their her father? Not her management team?
2: Yeah, I don't think her management team is entitled to that information. Unless, 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 I'm just going to throw in a little unless. Yes. Unless her father gave the management team permission to have the medical records as her legal, essentially as her legal guardian. Which, of course, let me just be very straightforward. If I were on that team and saw that, I'd lose my mind. Yeah. Um, That's completely unacceptable to me.
3: There's Um, a lot of conflict of interest there.
2: There's so much conflict of interest. And, And I think at the core of it all, though, is there's a woman who just wants to live her life, however she wants to live it. And, you know, we get caught up in this business and in the image and in the presentation and truly in the money. Everyone get, you know, when there's money to be made, everyone gets caught up in the money every time without right. fail. And one of my goals in my career is to look out for people's best, you know, my artist's best interest, my writer's best interest, my producer's best interest. If You know, I tell people all the time, and I I say this privately to clients, but I say this publicly as well, and I'll say it here. I tell people constantly, if you're ever not happy, if you're doing this and it's not your dream, just come tell me. If you work with me, just come tell me. And then let's help you figure out what that next step is or next steps are, whatever that may be. And I don't know if anyone did that for Brittany. I don't know if anyone does that in general for people in this business. Um, I certainly do. Um, Let's just put it this way. I don't ever expect to be super rich off this business, but I do expect to have a life filled with great relationships with amazing people. And I expect to be known as someone who actually cared about the human beings and not just about the money that comes in from their labor.
4: Right. And I I think that at the end of the day is hope, I hope is what most people will do. But I mean, it's hard to make that argument with the people who are involved with this scenario with Brittany. And so it just, to me, I, this is, you know, especially I feel like a lot of people are outraged obvi- for obvious reasons, but uh, this is a multi-year-long process that will take so long of, re- you know, resolution to even potentially get to anywhere that maybe Brittany would want. And yeah. so, like, that's the thing with it that I, you know, the public loves when they're told sit down and wait. No, never. But that's, like, all you can do. And, again, like, we know... Only what they've said in this leaked audio, by the way, I have to add, because they weren't supposed to have those oh. statements from court.
2: Oh, I know. That's, so, those court proceedings have been locked down right. like the whole time. And
4: so the entire time, so we're not going to, we, we don't know 90% of the story, you know, in a lot of ways, and we never will. And I again, the best we can do is just hope that Brittany gets to a point where she can have the freedom she wants to do what she wants with her life. Because clearly, based on the leaked audio...
3: And
2: get the help that
4: she needs. And get the help that she needs from, you know, professionals that...
2: Privately. Privately. I mean, my goodness, you know, all these... these, Let's just think about all these young girls. You know, when Brittany was a little girl, she was on the Mickey Mouse Club. Like that new Mickey Mouse Club show with Christina and Justin and blah, blah, blah. And, you know think about all these young girls who want to be stars or want to be singers, and think about their parents. Most of these parents – now, of course, there's always exceptions. Look, we're in the entertainment industry. There's There's always an exception. There's always an exception to everything you see. But most of these parents wouldn't want their children to be in these situations, Um, you know, to be feeling lost and alone and scared and without the help they need and just being given drugs that make them hazy and make them confused. Why would anyone want that for their child?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, <gasps> and that's where I think it comes back to the money aspect. Of I do it too, because it just not only people. well, she was supporting everyone. It seems like yeah. who was involved in the situation, even her dad. And so it's it's one of those things where it's not it's such a huge conflict of interest. And it is like the whole situation is
2: the whole the whole situation's a mess. Yeah. Um, and
3: and yeah. I think it should be if she were was in a conservative ship, it should be more of like a, a a government being that she is working with, where it's mm-hmm. it's like someone who is objectively there to make sure that they are getting the care that they need. Yeah. Um, as opposed to this. Oh, we're just going to hand all the power to your dad, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, you barely see him because obviously he's not spending time with her. It, with that statement he came out of, like, saying, oh, I had no idea she was feeling this bad. Yeah, you knew. You
2: had to have known. <laughs> you had to have known. Or she's afraid to say something, which makes me even more so concerned I, yeah. about her. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's just the, the whole situation. It, you know, whenever I pick up on, you know, signals, I, I, it's not the free britney or anything like that. It's just whenever I pick up on certain things that she says in the media, it's really obvious that this is a woman who... who wants a family yeah it's really obvious this is a woman who's craving to be loved
3: yeah
2: um genuinely loved i i just i feel that every single time and it just it honestly it hurts my heart
3: i think when you get to that level it's so hard to find those people
2: it is i i frequently tell my clients i work with a lot of developing artists who have really amazing opportunities before them And I speak with them and their families, even when they're adults. Um, Of course, when they're minors, I have to deal with the parents, and I love the parents, and they know that. Um, But when they're adults too, even young adults, I do speak with the parents. And I say, look, you know, this is a tough business, and your, your son or daughter is going to go through a lot of ups and downs, and they're going to need you. They're going to need their family. They're going to need to know that these people, you know, that are related to them care about them as human beings. Um, and so I walk people through that all the time. And that's the perspective I try to maintain as well with everyone I work with, because this, you know, when money comes into play every single time people get greedy, it's human nature. There's no way we can really stop it. But what we can do is be more reflective on ourselves, on how we handle these situations and how we help these people who may be making a lot of money live the life of their dreams. Yeah.
3: I think, uh, too, what was interesting with because uh, li- I listened to the whole tape, which I'm sure you guys did too, right? Um, I, the part where she talks about how Miley Cyrus, when Miley Cyrus had that transition, and Miley Cyrus is able to do whatever she wanted to do at that point. But back in the day, Brittany wasn't able to do that. I agree. Which I thought was interesting. Cause, I agree. Because a lot has changed. In a in honestly, a pretty short amount of time. Well, a
2: lot has changed because of people like Britney. Yeah,
3: she paved came out. The way. She
2: really did for for Miley Cyrus and the twerking and all the other stuff. Um, I will also say though, the difference with Miley Cyrus and I just want to bring this up to all of you is that Miley's dad, you know, even though at the time he was and no insult to Billy Ray because he's quite talented, but he was essentially a one hit wonder with you know you know with achy breaky yeah. heart. Yeah, and of course now he's got Little Nas X, Old Town Road remix, slated on that verse, you know, mm-hmm. really did. But the fa- and hopefully got a good percent on that. But uh, but you know, it's one of those things where, you know, Miley's family had been in this business and had made money at this business. You know, I mean, let's be real, Dolly Parton's her godmother, whether or not that was the way it panned out. Great marketing tool, no matter what. Good move, ladies. <laughs> but um, But no matter what, you know, I think that the Miley Cyrus career was also very well strategized with Miley involved. Um, There's something that Miley said in an interview years ago around the time she released Bangers that has always stuck with me, and I've shared this with a few people. Um, Miley did an interview, I can't remember where it was, but she talked about in the period between Hannah Montana and the Bangers album Mm -hmm. how she got to be free and explore the world for the first time in her life. Just drive around, get coffee, get meals, have fun, do her thing. And one of the things that people don't realize is when when children go into this business, they are worked like adults. But they are not just worked like adults. They are also responsible for going to school. Yeah. So they're working twice as much as adults, no matter what anyone says. That's the perspective I see most. Now, it's not all the time. There's exceptions, but I see it a lot. And I think that Miley Cyrus was given breathing room at the perfect time in her development. And that has always stuck with me because, yeah, look, Miley Cyrus has her fun, more power to her, be herself. You know, I'm big on that. But the thing that Miley got that Britney didn't get is that Britney went from being a child star to basically being shopped around to labels and connecting with Max Martin through the Jive connection and essentially launching the career that way. And that was a straight path for her of work for years and years. Yeah. Miley did Hannah Montana, got stupid rich off of it. Good for her. Make that money. Took a little bit of time. And if you look at the time period between Hannah Montana and the Bangers album, she did take time. Mm -hmm. But took some time for herself and to live life and to figure out who she was, even though it was a twerking, pot smoking. Twenty something, right. good for her, you know. Seriously, <laughs> with the
3: awesome music video and a lot of the, yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that wrecking ball,
2: it. wrecking ball in general is a great song.
3: Yeah, it's amazing.
2: It's a great song, but that's the difference, though. Miley was given the freedom, at least from what I've perceived. Of course, it could all just be PR. I'm not born yesterday, but you know, from what I've perceived, Miley was given more freedom and flexibility. And mm-hmm. what she's turned her career into, if you listen to what she's doing now, is she's become a true artist. Whether whatever your perspective on Miley Cyrus is, she does what I can feel when I see her on stage that that's a person who's doing what she wants to do.
0: From BBC Radio Four, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
1: So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play Stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.
5: The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The campaign moment podcast from the Washington Post gives you what matters.
4: At time, I think we got time for one more. <laughs> I didn't want to throw you off too much fun, you no, guys. No, no. I, I think we got time for one more, and I didn't want to cut you off or anything because you, you guys are way more elegant talkers than I am. So uh, I'm going to do my best and talk real good for y'all for this last time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I want to talk to Rachel about this because Congress is potentially introducing something that could change the fundamental. Landscape of radio, basically. If it goes through, actually, there's two bills competing with each other, and they both have freedom in the title, which I think is hilarious.
2: Freedom in America. What yeah. else is more common? So eventually, Free- w-
3: the freedom bill, the freedom point two
4: bill. Freedom, <laughs> white
2: bread, and Coca Cola. <laughs>
4: the only major country in the world, the United States, uh, to basically have no terrestrial. Terrestrial radio, no royalties. I'm doing that elegant talking. Anyway, uh, they pay no royalties uh, to performers or recorded music copyright owners of songs they play on the radio. So in the United States, completely. Which a lot of people don't know. It's literally the beginning or probably the prime example of you're getting paid in promotion when you put a song on the radio. Yeah,
2: That's right. And and the, the way to think about this, just for listeners who may not have broken this down more thoroughly, is that the composition underlying the recording the songwriters and the publishers get paid for that public performance. But the artists and the record label who are involved in the actual performance that's captured on the recording, they don't get paid a penny. When you listen to your terrestrial FM radio, they do not get paid a penny. And we are the only major developed country that does not pay royalties for the public performance of sound recordings through terrestrial radio. Yep, We do pay, as I mentioned earlier, royalties through sound exchange, you know, for Pandora and Sirius XM. But that's only digital. And that's only non-interactive streaming services. It's a very limited right to collect those those performance royalties on the recording.
4: Which is interesting because Congress is trying to change this. So in the American Music Fairness Act, which establishes a domestic performance right for sound recordings played on AM slash FM radio stations... And under the bill, artists, performers, producers, and other music makers involved in the creation of sound recordings will be entitled to fair market rate for their music played on radio stations across the United States, which I think is interesting because... Also, Congress has another bill, which is then supported by the National Association of Broadcasters, which you can probably guess which direction this is going. Oh, I can. Uh, it's a counter bill known as the Local Radio Freedom Act. And two freedoms. <laughs> they would have the opposite effect, forbidding the creation of a performance royalty and or changes to radio broadcaster payouts by Congress.
2: You know what? You know what that bill should remember? Freedom isn't free.
4: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so it's interesting because we've seen this argument from obviously the radio community that's been in dire straits for many years. Yes. And then obviously we've seen artists saying like, you know, we have all this royalties and stuff from streaming that are barely anything. And we're, you know, selling our souls out for shows that aren't existent you're just starting up right now so the idea is what do you guys think do you think this will be a death blow to the radio stations or a needed income stream to artists i'm seeing some nose I, shaking at the I, table yeah.
3: dude everything just seems like it's like radio's gonna die and, and it, it perseveres and it, it keeps going it
2: keeps going because let's just be honest you know the fact is is that radio is still an incredibly popular format it is. you know and 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 i'm not just talking about pop radio okay we can talk we can talk talk all day about pop radio hip-hop radio like all those you know various formats what i'm talking about is country radio uh-huh. in particular Huge. see see one of the things that you know doesn't always get thought about is in the genres you know obviously country is an important genre in nashville where we're all based mm. and i mean it's kind of the foundation of the nashville music industry and radio is a critical part piece of the puzzle for country artists. Right. Um which is why it is so important to play women on country radio just as much as con- as men are played on country radio. Preach. But but I mention this because I I think it's one of those things where radio has been dying for a long time. Okay? Mm. We we now have streaming services. Um you know, I love those. I'm I was so glad when those finally came to the US. Um so thrilled. Dream come true. Changed my I subscribed. I was in law school when I subscribed. Because I was so <laughs> ready. I was like, I will pay any money y'all want so I can listen to music nonstop. From any, right. Like, I was so in. But it's one of those things where why aren't we paying for the performance of the sound recording copyright? Like, let's just, let's just break it down to the most fundamental level, okay? Copyright is a property right, an intellectual property right that is given to us under the Constitution of the United States. And we pay, and remember, copyright, just to kind of summarize for everyone listening, okay? So under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 8 of the Constitution, Congress shall have the right to promote the progress of science and the useful arts um, and secure for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their writings and discoveries. Okay? Just, you know, keeping it simple, okay? We get a limited time to monetize our intellectual property, our creative works, our copyrights, and our patents. And we're not going to talk about patents here because I am no patent attorney. (laughs) But you got to be really specialized to do that, everyone. I am not that specialized. But I say this because we have a limited economic incentive for the exploitation of creative works. And for recording artists to not be able to monetize that recorded side doesn't that just take away from that constitutional right that's provided as a foundational element? I mean, I I could certainly make that argument. Of course, I'm sure people have tried and possibly failed or maybe just went on deaf ears with not enough money. Um, But I, I certainly think that's something that, you know, we need to realize is that we only get a certain amount of time under the Copyright Act to monetize the creative works. You know, works for hire, 95 years essentially from creation just to keep it simple for this podcast, um, or 100 uh, – no, it was 95 from exploitation, 120 from creation, whichever is earlier. Yeah. And then for, um, for works that are owned by individuals, it's the life of the last living author plus 70 years thanks to the late, great Sonny Bono. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of those things where why don't both sides of the, of the you know ownership get paid for this? We're exploiting these. Radio advertisers are making yeah. money on it.
3: Well, I think it's because of how powerful radio has been in this country specifically what and, do you think and how long it's it's had that hold because uh, this isn't the first time this has come up. No, do you think
4: it's interesting because I feel like there's a dual, like going back to when radio started to become more popular and people would actually have radio like uh, receivers, I think it's interesting that I bet they, and I've seen they had the argument where well, we're trying to develop this, so we don't want these radio stations to have to pay this money out. So we're trying. So that was the ante back then. And now we're almost at the opposite where it's like these markets and these radio stations are struggling, quote unquote. So we don't want this to be paid either. It's like the same argument now, but towards the quote unquote, end of the life of radio. Yeah,
3: I would say that. uh for-profit radio stations are doing okay for the most part oh, yeah uh, I would say non-profit radio stations are struggling
2: but but those can I mean that can be statutorily excluded yeah and and honestly I think that's a perfectly fair compromise I mean the Copyright act does um you know exclude certain royalties for um for broadcasts over like PBS for example mm-hmm. so why can't we do that for- nonprofit radio stations as well
3: well I think it's it's because no one on the radio side wants any kind of chop into the radio chunk of
2: change. I agree. You know what I mean? But can I, can I make one more observation no, that ahead. I want to share mm-hmm. with you guys? Um, I, you know, having studied copyrights and intellectual property in the music industry for, gosh, I mean, I've been studying this for almost 16 years now, but I haven't been a lawyer that long, um, but I have been studying this consistently for that long. One of the things that I've discovered is that the law never keeps up with reality. So let's, I mean, we take it back, okay? The 1976 Copyright Act was the last major revision to the copyright law that occurred. 1976 did not become effective until 78. Before that, the Copyright Act in effect was from 1909. Right. And so as we've built out these new technologies, the law really has had a tough time keeping up. You know, and and we saw that with Napster in two thousand. We've seen that, you know, with thank goodness, the laws kept up with you know, the MLC being created because for a number of years, um mechanical royalties from digital streaming weren't getting paid to writers who didn't essentially have a publishing deal or a publishing administrator handling the collection of royalties. Um, and having these resources available is critical for us to be able to sustain a music industry long term and to have a healthy middle class in this industry. Mm -hmm. And without those royalty streams, we can't continue to sustain this industry the way we have long term. The creatives just will not survive.
4: It seems like it would be a deterrent to having, like you're saying, a middle class where it's like you're not the biggest artist of the world but you're making a living and having a pipeline to live and create your music and get bigger and better and then eventually maybe make it big time if you can as opposed to maybe what's required sometimes now where you need this rapid success so fast to get you through that period because you can't survive in that middle period
3: of income. And now even with that rapid success, you can have millions and millions of streams and still not be making… As much money as you would have been making oh, I've run, ten years prior. I've
2: run the numbers on um, mechanical streaming royalties compared to, you know, our our consistent nine point one cents since pretty much I started studying this business. Right. Hint hint <laughs> to everyone, when I started studying this business, I was told that the nine point one cents would change. That was around two thousand five, two thousand six. We were told it that is,
4: in school. Yeah. Too. <laughs> it is twenty
2: twenty-one. And I am sitting here talking about a nine point one cent mechanical royalty. And mind you, this has only gone up from two point three cents since nineteen oh nine. Big spenders here, guys. Big spenders, um, you know. And, and then the labels cap it, you know, at, with the control composition clause at seventy five percent of the statutory rate. Let, let's not even get too deep into that. But <laughs> I get, I get a little feisty about these things,
4: guys. <laughs> cuts upon cuts. Um,
2: you know, it's it's just it cuts down on the money that these creatives. The whole reason we have an industry is because of these. Amazing creative minds who are writing the songs and performing the songs, and these talents who are born with just these incredible voices or these skills musically that truly you kind of can't teach someone when you're that good. Yeah, I mean, I I, I know because I've seen it. You can't teach people to do some of this stuff. Right. Um, there's just some incredible natural talent, and if we don't support that natural talent and allow it to flourish, how do we even have a music industry? To monetize in the first place. Well,
3: and then it goes back to how the music has always music industry has always operated, which seems to be cannibalism in a lot of ways. It just cannibalizes itself a lot and then it points fingers.
2: (laughs) Yes, it's a blame game. And 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 certainly the history of the entertainment industry has not been the, you know, in general has not been the most, you know, fun or easy or safe or healthy. (laughs) Yeah. It's no bedtime story. Um, I
3: do think it's getting better. I think some aspects of it are getting better. I, do I think too. the payment, like you were saying, is getting harder, especially it, yes. with these older systems still in place.
2: yes. and And I think it's one of those things where, you know, as we as we continue to work and grow in this business and have these types of conversations, which are so important, um, you know, it's critical for all of us in this to understand that the reason, like for me, the reason that I'm able to be an entertainment and music lawyer and I'm so grateful for this reason is because of the incredible creatives that I work with and represent. Yeah. I couldn't do this without them. There's literally no job for me without those people. And I'm so grateful to them that they want to do this and that they want to put their trust in me to handle their agreements and their business. But if we if we don't look at it that way, if we start if we continue to look at this as well, I'm the executive, or you know, as I've seen many times, and this is not specific to anyone, I'm the lawyer, so I know best, and this is it's all about me. If we look at it like that, instead of looking at ourselves as what we really are, service providers. I am a service provider. I provide a service to my clients. I help them handle their business. I help them understand their business. I help them negotiate agreements in relation to their business that are in their best interest. That's my job. Hmm. I love doing it. But I am a service provider. I am not the star.
3: That's why
4: I was always told, too. It's a service industry. Yeah,
2: we are service providers.
3: And craftsmen, basically. Yes. At the same time. Very it, much. You have to be creative in all aspects of this industry.
4: And I think a lot of people in this world think that's a demeaning thing. And it's not. It's you not. know To be a serviceman and a craftsman. Yeah. Not
2: at all. It is. It is a highly honorable and difficult job. Especially when you have to take positions that may or may not agree with who you are. But they're in the best interest of your client you do what's in the best interest of your client every step of the way. Yeah. At least that's my philosophy. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I mean we just we have to be thoughtful about the fact that making money from music is is getting more and more difficult every day. And the law is not kept up with the technology in the United States. It's kept up everywhere else in the world and every other developed country, but here. And so if we can just, you know, come to the realization as a society that if we don't support these creative people we're going to lose the asset that we all need anyway these radio stations can't survive without these creatives yeah then then that's the solution it's called creating a fair balance
3: yeah We'll be hearing '80s hits on radio stations Until the for the end rest of our time. lives. Well, I know,
2: <laughs> Rachel.
4: Thank you so much for you know yeah, coming in absolutely. here. And, oh my gosh, thank we you can for talk, Having
2: me,
3: we can talk to you for hours. Yeah, I feel
2: like I like, would keep going if you guys wanted me to. I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs>
4: we'll, we'll definitely bring you back on. No worries. <laughs> uh, And so we can have, we can have multiple. It's a, you know it's like oh we have bonus episode six of episode forty. You know <laughs> with Rachel Gutman. <laughs> I'm yeah. here for it. Um, so Joe, what have you been listening to?
3: Uh, I have been listening to a lot of um, Curtis Waters. Which do you know Curtis Waters? Oh, I don't. He's the guy who made that really big TikTok song that was like, "I saw my, I saw my, like wrist, right?" Oh yeah, it's. I uh, saw my, I saw my. Yeah, wrist. he had that big trend. <laughs> awesome. I can't remember. Da- 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 Da-na-na-na-na, that song, yeah, it's like I'm oh, running. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was like, I thought he was just like the guy who made a random song, one hit wonder kind of thing. But I mean, he has really popped off with his with his stuff, and he's really kind of getting he's gotten really niche into that kind of hyper pop sound. But he adds even more pop elements to where it's digestible, which I think hyper pop struggles with sometimes. Love it. Yeah, and then Poppy's new stuff. Have you heard about Poppy?
2: I have not heard the new stuff.
3: Okay, so did you watch? You didn't watch the Grammy performance or anything?
2: Luke, I did actually. I always watch. Okay. I watch all the award so shows. I'm a nerd.
3: She's doing like hardcore music now, mm-hmm. and it is.
2: Oh, that's incredible. right! She blew my mind. Yeah. i was freaking out.
3: It's it, you have. <laughs> to, oh my
2: god! I love that stuff. You
3: have to listen to it because yep. it's it, it is. It's not only like it's not just like a pop person doing hardcore like for fun. It's like yeah. she. You can tell she loves hardcore music. She's awesome. Like, yeah, she's going in on it, and it's it's amazing. So, Rachel,
4: what about you?
2: Oh my goodness. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch something to all, uh, everyone listening. I mean, go ahead. Like, yeah, I, I can't help myself. So, in addition to being an, uh, a lawyer, I have a number of hobbies in this business. Um, I do a lot. I, pretty much everything I do for fun is in this business. I can't help myself, and I make a playlist because, again, no boundaries. Just enjoy doing this. Um, It's called Hot Independent Releases, and it features Nashville-based and affiliated artists, writers, and producers. Um, They're not always people that I represent, actually. It's truly music that I think is breaking the mold and doing something different and saying something different. But with that being said, um, the one I really want to mention to everyone listening is John Harvey. Um, If you guys have not heard John Harvey, let me tell y'all, this young man has... It's like Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy and Brendan Urey from Panic at the Disco had a vocal baby.
1: <laughs> and it's
2: John David Harvey. And he is a genius. I have – I I truly – you know, I've gotten to, you know, be in the room with him when he's working and writing and recording. The guy just – he can sing. But he can also write a hell of a bop. Um, and he's got two singles, Bleach on the Rocks. He also has a remix with Lil' Aaron who – shout out to Lil' Aaron. Really cool guy. Um, really, really cool guy. Um, and then, and then he has another single Elena and I'll tell you guys, like most of what I listen to truly are demos. Just wait for what's coming next. Right. So, I, you know, I gotta tell you, like in terms of true talent, that guy's it.
4: I definitely. This is the
3: second plug for John that yeah, we've had on the show. Yeah, exactly. Zach Green said the same thing. I,
2: John's a, I'm telling y'all, John is it. And look, I want you to understand, I work with a number of amazing, talented people and When I you know, please bring me back on the show. And when they have songs come out, I would love to mention them because they blow my mind. But right now, especially in Nashville, um, you know, if you're not aware of John Harvey, you really need to take a listen. Yeah. Yeah. Because this guy is it. And and I know all the songs aren't out in the world, but I'm telling everyone we've got songs on songs on songs. I don't think this guy can write a bad song.
4: I, I I do really like it. I listened to it after Zach did it, and I love like true, you know, new musicians that are interesting is that he's mixing a lot of familiar things with new things. And that's what, you know, creates new, interesting music. Like you're saying, like those older, I could hear that like Panic at the Disco, Brendan Urie, but I, I also could hear that newer kind of hyper pop sound, yes. which is also very heavily mixed in. And I was like, oh, this is a unique you know, medium now, like it's hard to do. And that's the fun part about genres. It's hard to define, but when you get an artist and you're like, Oh, it's like the best of both worlds of a bunch of things. Yeah. Like John's music. I, uh, I'm just excited for it, you know?
2: Well, I'll tell you guys too. I really don't believe in genre. I believe genre is a construct of the American music industry that was created to market and sell product. Um, I mean, I mean, will just (laughs) say it. It's just flat out. I mean, I love great music. Like I'll give you guys another example of something I've been bopping all freaking week, and you're going to love this. This is such a contrast. But there's this um, country artist and writer, Jenna Paulette, and she released this song called Country and the Girl um, last Friday. And I'm telling y'all, look, I am not a country person. I grew up in cities. I did not grow up hunting and fishing. I'm not going to (laughs) sit here and play like I did because I am no fake. But let me tell you something. When I listen to that song, it just brings out this spirit in me. Like, I, I mean, truly, I've been playing it. Like, whenever I'm driving my car, I've seriously been playing it on repeat. It's such a thing. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, this this authentic connection with, you know, um, you can put the girl in the country, but you can't put the country in the girl. Ah, you know? Okay. She won't fix you biscuits like you like them. You know, like, stuff like that. It's, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it, I mean, it's the truth, though. Yeah, and it is. And I just, it's so, you know, whether or not it's personally relatable to me, I know that there are thousands, millions of other people around this country who can relate with that. And who can understand that. And I love that. I love that there are people speaking to everyone in America, not just the cities, not just the Gen Z, you know, target audience. Because at this point, I've finally fallen outside of the target audience thanks to my age. (laughs) I will take that. Um, But, but, you know, that are speaking to all different types of people and different Mm -hmm. backgrounds and different, you know, stories. I think that's so critical. And so I just I love that song. I'm such a fan of it. Um. Yeah, really special.
4: Yeah, I. uh, That's that's amazing. I mean, clearly showing how you're a great attorney because if you believe in you know, especially your clients and other musicians like that, that shows how much you know about the industry and really actually care
2: in that way. There are so many. I'll just put it to you guys this way: there are so many people, and I'm I'm sure they're going to hear this and be like, "Oh, this is weird," but I don't (laughs) care. There are so many people in town that I do not work with where I actually pitch them for stuff if I think it's a good fit for them because I just think they're so talented. And let's be real, you know, they're friends with my clients or they're friends with my friends or I know they're, you know, a good person. But their music is so good that they deserve that next level opportunity. And I just have no issues trying to help make that happen, yeah. even as a friend, even as just like the random cool friend. Well, maybe not so cool. But their <laughs> random lawyer friend who, you know, just finds things because – At the end of the day, especially, um, and I'll say this, I work in pop a lot out of Nashville, which, Mm -hmm. you know, 10 years ago would have been impossible. Right. Um, And when I was coming up in Nashville, I never felt fully comfortable here because I grew up on pop music. I didn't grow up on country. I grew up on pop and hip hop. I was that kid where after school, I'd go home and I'd watch three channels, MTV, VH1, and BET. Yeah. Okay? And I freaking love B E T. Well, I mean, obviously it's problematic for certain reasons, but let's just be honest, I loved learning about the culture. And I love learning and I and I found the stories to be eye-opening, you know, to see um, you know, what the projects look like in the old cash money videos, for example, and then having lived in New Orleans, um, very eye-opening and prepared me for reality in a really smart way. Um, but you know, we we just have to, you know, focus on all these great talents coming up. And say to ourselves, how can we help support them? Go gotcha. to shows.
4: I hate that I dances. have to undercut this with like the most cheesy music <laughs> recommendation. Do it. Do it. We're cool. I... Uh, Joe and the listeners know that I always have some random old thing so that I like bring up. From, listening
3: to the Sonic runs, right? Back. I just like <laughs> dredge
4: it from the past, and people are like, <laughs> "Oh yeah." So I was listening to Weird Al's 1985 "Dare to Be Stupid" the other day. <laughs> no
2: shame. Weird and, Al's a super talented, right?
4: And uh, yeah, unironically, I guess I do have a lawyer here, and obviously he, the man of many legal troubles with a bunch of different things.
2: Actually, Weird Al has done a one, except for the um, the Gangster's Coolio Paradise, the Coolio situation. Weird and, and honestly, he just should have gotten a written agreement. Right, but truthfully, truthfully, Weird Al has done a wonderful job at getting permission every single time, even though arguably, arguably, his uses fall within fair use. charities.
4: Yeah. It's just a security kind of thing. I respect that. Yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I've been listening to it. My favorite is like a surgeon, oh. which is like the funniest song. I like that more than the original song. Is how much I like <laughs> that song. But I used to grow up like. When I was growing up, and we had the family computer, and it was like two thousand five, two thousand six, when YouTube had just come up, I used to go downstairs and watch that video all the time. Because he, I, I will say this: uh, like him and like a Todd Rundrig were like really into the internet super early on, and so he got a bunch of people who are like my age. Like uh, one of me and my spouse's best friends is also a weirdo Al nut, and you know we're. 30 years out of the age demographic. And the only reason why is because YouTube existed right then. And he and his, you know, label and stuff were just like. Let's adopt this. Let's put it full force. Let's put all these videos on there. So every time I listen to that song, I have nostalgia, not for when I should, in 1985, because I wasn't alive, uh, but <laughs> for like 2005, literally. And so, yeah, I've been listening to that. And then that also has Yoda on it, which is the uh, Lola cover, which I think is hilarious because it's just the most ridiculous thing about like him making fun of George Lucas for the dumbest things, <laughs> which, I mean, there's a thousand things we can make fun of George Lucas I for. I mean, here. Howard the Duck. <laughs> the greatest uh, Marvel I'm waiting for him to come
2: uh, uh, well, let me put it this way Star Wars Episode 1
3: yeah
4: Jar Jar yeah.
2: Binks
3: oh yeah
2: Hayden Christensen in general silence <laughs> I'll just I'll just I'll go for it
3: oh Thanks so much for listening to the Biz Tape podcast. That was great, Colin. I yeah. mean, it was, we were here for, I, I think we talked for an hour straight, right? Yeah. Yeah. I
4: mean, there's nothing more that I like to do to talk to Rachel Government about all things music business, and she is a plethora of information. Yeah. But you know what a plethora of information is? is our socials at the Biz Tape, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> and also, we appreciate if you, what was it? Rate, subscribe, do rate, subscribe yeah, your thing,
3: you know? And huge thank you to Rachel for being on the podcast. We had a great time
0: From BBC Radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip
4: I thought in that moment oh my god we've
0: summoned something from this board This is uncanny USA
1: Zumo Play.